What's going on, Neil? We're back in the studio. Thanks so much for listening. This is Master Keys, episode 19. We're almost a, almost sure of. Yeah. Um, what's going on, Neil? Not too How much. Are well. you? I missed you, man. Yeah, as I say, it's been a little while. We've been almost two weeks. Two weeks since we recorded. Yeah. 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 I was away. I jetted off to the land of USA again. I think I may have at yep. the very start of our podcast as well. Um, yeah, yeah. You went to like Idaho the I last went, time. You had to pick potatoes. And, and this time to North Carolina. This time choice. to North Carolina to pick apartments. So Very excited to hear about that. Yeah, I'm going to get into that, explain what I found yeah. and tell you if it's worth it or not. And then cool. I did a little stop off in Florida on the way home. Cool. Creek. Oh, I've actually kind of, I've never been to Florida, had, never had any desire to go to Florida and I kind of want to go to Miami. You got to go see to see it. Yeah. It's a very cool place. It's a very weird place. Though. I was saying this, I was get my hair cut earlier and I was telling them on the water the houses are 20,000 square feet 20 million dollars with a boat parked in front that's 400 million dollars like just the whole coastline for like 100 miles yeah and then you drive two blocks inland and it's just like man this is what I've heard about Miami in general it's like oh my god hyper rich extravagant and then you go three blocks off the main drag and it's a little grind. You may lose your rims of your car yeah. and your life. It's it sounds amazing. I want to go. It was very good. I'm, you know, I'm going to tell a quick place. story. I got to tell a quick story then. What's that? I got to tell a quick story okay. about, about my two your... blocks. And I got, I'm just, this was kind of funny. Oh, please. Did Neil get mugged? <laughs> 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 I know you don't have your gold chain anymore. Neil. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I get, I get, you know what? Everyone's got, like, it's, everyone's got their shit. But uh, the hotel we were staying at was on the water. Um, not a super nice. fancy hotel by any means, but it didn't have laundry set up yet. It was under renovation, so the laundry room okay. or whatever was shut down. So I had to go to a laundromat. So I had to go in maybe about a mile and a half in inwards inland to go to this laundromat. And again, walking around right where we were, like literally there's massive yachts parked right in front of the hotel. And then I start walking, keep walking. It's like whatever. The buildings are getting less tall as I go. Yeah. Uh, and I get to the laundromat. And it's just like a complete total change. And anyways, the one I thought this was kind of funny, but the guy was doing his laundry. He just stripped part just of his load down. of laundry. He geared down. Oh my god! And threw his laundry in with the load that he was doing. Are we talking full naked? He kept on his underwear, okay. but it, it was like this was like we're talking like tight undies, <laughs> like, man. Don't stop there, you coward. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I get it. You know what? Maybe maybe he doesn't have a house and like affordability and all that to get the, to get it done, like. Whatever respect, it was just kind of a, a kind of a goofy scenario, just the way that it went on, and he just kind of he was so casual about it, like didn't didn't care. But, that is pretty funny. When yeah. we were in high school, a bunch of my buddies used to drink in the laundromat before dances and stuff because it was open twenty four hours. Oh, yeah. and as a kid, like you're looking for somewhere to drink, the laundromat. and like the laundromat was a place that was open twenty four hours and warm and bright, and you could just drink sit in, in your underwear and, and drink. Sit in your underwear, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that is random, man. Yeah, but um, uh, cool. What else is going on? Not too much. I mean, that's really been the big one. I got a closing coming up on Friday that I'm going to have some more issues for, as I always do. Uh, that's funny you mentioned that because my closing on those eight units was supposed to be, I want to say, three days ago. Um, I want to say three days ago. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, I think it was supposed to be three days ago. This is, I, it sounds so ridiculous because if you were buying a house, you'd never be like, I don't know, we were supposed to close three days ago. We didn't close. <laughs> this is like commercial. So, yeah, I think it was supposed to be three days ago. And then we're going to move it to the end of the month. And I think now we're actually just moving into the start of December, which I'm kind of bummed about because I do want to get in there and get started and, you know, start taking it over and all the logistics. What's but the like delay? 
just the financing. Bank's like, yeah, we're, we'll we'll get around to it. I'm like, okay. Oh my god. Um, the sellers is fine with it because they know the financing is, is approved. It's just the logistics. And there's a lot of moving parts because I refinanced those two other buildings, like I highlighted on another show. I'm taking some of that money to buy this property. And yeah, they just don't really care about your timeline. They're just like, you know, I told this them this is what date. they can meet and they know that you need them. There's no reason really that they got to crank it. I mean, a bunch of people are work from home and there's all these weird transitions and it's just appraisers are tied up more. Everyone's tied up more. It's crazy. And there's just, yeah. On the commercial side, I think I feel like there's more transactions. Residentially, we're, we're down, but commercially, I think we're definitely up. And there's just a lot of refinances going on because everyone's up in value, so they're looking to get some, you liquidity. know, take that equity out, get some liquidity, do something else, and so the appraisals are backed up. And you know, regardless if it's a if it's a purchase or a refi, it's the same system that it's going through. Yep. You're in the same queue, regardless. So yeah, maybe the actual new new money purchases are, are, are down. But the actual volume of overall transactions, including refinances, is, is up quite a bit. So, but yeah, so I'll hopefully have some news on that. And I think that'd be kind of a cool thing to to walk people through. And you've got one coming up as well. When's that close? Yeah, I got uh, the 19 unit closing December 6th, I believe that is. Same thing though. We're getting down to the wire. All the financing's done, approved, all the documents are signed. But it's the same deal. I'm using a refinance to make the down payment. It's all with the same bank. But I am already like, mm, we're going to need an extra yeah, week. That December 6th creeping up, man. That's it's creeping up. Like in commercial land, it's like two weeks away. You're like, oh, if it's not pretty much money in your hand already, you're pretty much going to have to delay. Like it's like, that's yeah. how it feels effectively. Like there's no last minute. Yeah. And it was funny too because the other side was like, oh yeah, so just make sure you change your uh, power takeover date and your water takeover date and all and your insurance. I'm like, oh yeah, and set those up to begin with because I knew it was going to close this day. <laughs> I'm like, that's just a good reminder for me to set it up. For when it does I'm bad for that too. I closed it on the other one and I was like, I didn't set up the landlord account. So the hallways were dark for three days. Oh man, that's funny. My bad. But yeah, so I have that one coming up. That'll be the same thing. I'll be good to get some people through. I'm actually also excited to show them that my other ones that I closed there, whatever that was, three weeks ago, the 18 units. We got some empty units there. I think we had up to five empty units already, which is sweet. And I just want to kind of show what they look like and what they end up being because we actually have oh, on that a little same before and after a little before and after because on that same street we have some other buildings underway that are close to being finished you can get like an almost a direct perspective and comparison oh are these still the three that there was the environmental those ones right yes yeah, and yeah, yeah. got the enviro back because we actually went and dug up the ground yeah all past clear. yeah there was hydrocarbons in the soil but under the residential limits Nothing wrong with a little bit of hydrocarbon in your life. Exactly. Well, it just keeps the dirt moving nice and smooth. You don't <laughs> want it sticking together, right? It keeps the dirt moisturized. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I want to I want to get people to see those because you know when we were at the REIC thing yesterday, there we had an REIC lunch oh, yeah. to discuss tenancy. Chandler yelled about tenancy, and they brought up the fact that there was people doing renovations that weren't actually doing proper renovation to the units. Yeah, but they and, could not come up with any stats about it. <laughs> Four people, one from the Department of Housing, one from the Tenancy Board, one from Nova Scotia Legal Aid, one from IPONS. It's like, yeah, how many? Like, we don't know. Like, well, how many were like done correctly or, or not correctly? Nothing. We don't know. Nothing. So there is this whole idea that this is going on at some, if you believe the media, that it's going on at rampant yeah, rates. Yeah, 99% of units. Yeah. And they can't point to a single case. Right. Or, or, yeah. or at least they, they cannot track them. And I understand it's like, well, it's being done and it's not being reported because it's not being done correctly and so on and so forth. However, you would think for how much it's in the news, someone would have done some sort of count on how often this is happening and none of them have any idea. Um, because we talked about, yeah, some people are, uh, were upset with ones that happened. 
Yeah. But for the most part, they were done above board. Like yeah. the process that was in place was followed. Now they're changing the process uh, to make it a bit more rigorous to keep better tracking. But the previous ones were done, generally speaking, they were done by the book. People may not like the result, but they were at least done by the rules in a, in a lot of cases, yourself included. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I don't know how they did them not by the book. They're like, people were evicting people, though, like not by the book. And I'm like, but you can't evict. The person just doesn't leave. And then what do you do? You can't. Yeah, yeah. Like the only way to get someone out is they agree to it in some idea. And I understand people like, well, they involuntarily agree because they're bought out or they don't want to, but they reach some sort of agreement or they went through the process. So unless there's this thing that people are physically having their doors locked, but again. Everyone's been pumped when I've handed them the two grand. Tell you that for free. Yeah, but you wouldn't believe that based on the media coverage. And I mean, there have certainly been some dubious ones. Like there was a building where there, there was down to one person who wouldn't leave, but the city issued a demolish permit of yeah. the building. Like the yeah. city gave the owner a permit that says you can demolish it. Yeah. So this guy was told he had to leave because the building was being demolished and those landlords were villainized. Oh, you've got more insight on it? Well, okay. but here's the thing. The city issued the demolition permit because they had already issued an eviction notice for the entire building. So as per the city's directive, the building was supposed to be empty. Yeah. And then like you're saying, when they did start tearing it down and there was a mistake made, because well, not really a mistake, the guy just didn't leave. He, went, he refused to leave. He tied himself to the tree. He literally tied himself you know, to the like, tree. He refused to leave. Then he was villainized for it. He was made out to be this big bad boy. He, the landlord. Yeah, the landlord, the landlord was, was made out to be the big bad boy. We, even though he followed yeah, all the procedures. Followed, yeah. And the city thought that he had to. They were like, yeah, based on our paperwork, you've done what you need to, and yeah. it's it's your building now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that was that was it was more frustrating than anything. And then yeah, we only had about two minutes to talk to them and then get out of there. Yeah. So no more questions. Yeah. <laughs> no more questions. <laughs> Shut it down. Yeah. Well. So no, that uh, that wasn't good. But yeah, so I, I want to show some people just like what we're doing there, so you can get an idea of like you know what this is kind of worth it. Also, oh, I should I'm going to send you a picture right now, Tanner, to flash up of what my buildings used to look like. Uh, yeah, I think I saw some of them. Well, there's one that was like literally burned out. I think. Yeah, well, one of mine, yeah, I got one of mine literally burnt out. That's why there's this guy who, like, trolls us. I hope he listens to this episode because I made a point of telling him to actually listen to the episodes because he just trolls us without any context. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, not like those landlords on Master Keys podcast who just raised the rent for painting a door. And you've got a he building that was literally burned to the ground. <laughs> like, it was boarded up. Yeah. Like, I, multiple, multiple, literally boarded up, burnt Boarded out. up, and it's like... Got them vacant, too. Like, they were just completely inhabitable. The plumbing, you could literally... The plumbers were standing in front of me, and they grabbed one of the pipes, and it just fell out of, like, its its holdings, because it all had frozen and heated so much, yeah. it just popped. But then he's supposed that we just changed the doors and jacked the rent. Yeah. No, like, it's... it's I thought about that. Yeah. I just, the problem is there's no interiors in the units, so I don't know if I can run Yeah, them. like, they, it was a, literally a burnt-out shell. <laughs> I'm surprised that building was even salvaged. But that'd be really cool to see some some before and afters of what you're you're doing now, and I, I'll do the same thing at, at my next one. I've got an accepted offer on the two development sites that I put on the market. Yes. Uh, there was one downtown Dartmouth, which was a great size for someone who was looking to get into new construction, uh, but maybe not really scale up large. Um, these were three... Uh, development sites that each would support a four-unit dwelling, so 12 units total, which is nice manageable size. Mm. Still going through due diligence, but that was for a client of mine. And it's really interesting because he bought that for one use, right? It, it had a building on it, and his plan was to run his operations, his small business, out of the building. And it had a certain zoning that was uh, in, in place for, for the land. Yep. And I mentioned to him, I said, well, you might want to look at this opportunity because they're rezoning the city here, 
this little opportunity to increase your zoning. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, yeah, I mean, this is what I'm going to use it for. It's kind of as of right. I'll, I'll just kind of stick to it. I'm like, I honestly just feel like maybe <laughs> you should try to increase your zoning. Because it's a very, very unique property that historically had been used commercial, but is in effectively a residential area. And since we're rezoning the city right now anyway, you know, this would be the time to say, hey, let's lock something good in here. And uh, I've mentioned before, like, get some planners in your life. Planners are so good. I've got some really good friends and clients and partners who are planners. And I connected them, and they got him just a little nudge up in terms of what could be allowed on those Eight sites. 12 sort of thing? Yeah, just a little, little slight nudge up. And the reason I was encouraging him to do it is in case, like, plans changed down the road. And his plans did change. And we ended up selling off the land and got a way better yield on it because of that little bit of work there. So um, that's kind of the interesting thing about land and understanding your planning and doing some research and, and getting your ducks in a row regardless what you think you're going to go with – do with the property, cover your bases sort of. Yeah. Actually, to double down on that idea of not knowing 100% what you're going to do with something or with a property, I just came from a mortgage broker's office and we were just chatting. Uh, they wanted to introduce themselves. And he was asking, what do you typically get your investor clients to go into? Like open variables or fixed and all that. And I was like, always open variable products because you never know what you're going to do. Exactly to that yeah. point. Like you think you're going to lock in and then oh, rates have gone up or your rents have gone up or whatever. You need to make a refi. Now you're screwed because you got to pay these massive penalties. So same concept in it to, to an extent is you never know exactly what you're going to do. So it's better to go with the best case option, assuming totally. that things are going to change. Because it's funny. It doesn't seem like things are going to change. But a year or two years is a long time. Yeah, giving yourself as much flexibility as possible is is huge, huge, especially when you're talking about <laughs> land and redeveloping land and, and all that stuff, which is something I've kind of gotten a bit more into. And, and I've got that site that uh, we're also shopping down in Churro, which is kind of cool. So Under contract? It is under contract, subject to due diligence again. So um, looking forward to, to seeing that go through and, and excited for the next person to take it on. What uh, uh, What due diligence and how long? Uh, essentially it's, it's, I mean, uh, financing, possibly Enviro. I mean, it's under a million bucks, so they can indemnify it and it's got a residential building there now. So I don't think technically they need to do Enviro, but they may want to do it for their own reference. Um, mainly the due diligence when you're buying a site like that is about the, the development agreement. Like, okay, what can I actually do within this framework that you've agreed to with the municipality? What am I agreeing to buy? Because you're speculative buying like an approved lot to build X building. You need to understand the nuance of that and, and what exactly you'd be putting up there. Yeah. So. Interesting. Well, what kind of timeline? Yeah. Uh, I think it was six-week due diligence and we signed it a week ago. So end of December. We'll know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll end of year bonus. Little end of year bonus. <laughs> yeah. Which is another cool thing. I officially passed $55 million and sold. Congratulations. Yeah, That's sold a the year. huge number. Yeah. Huge number. Yeah, which is uh, a nice little little threshold for 2021. Very gross. Um, and uh, yeah, I posted that video. Was picking out selections for the building. That's what I've been kind of doing. I'm really excited about where the building is going. Actually, I've got something really interesting to talk about with that, if if there's time. So one of the things we we've spoken about, kind of in the early episodes, was about the here in Canada these CMHC programs for housing affordability, and there are pros and their cons. I guess yeah. There's what they're me- meant to accomplish, and then there's kind of ways where well intentioned though they may be, and useful though they may be, they kind of fall short at least of what people expect from affordability. Mm-hmm. So in lay terms, these CMHC programs and there's the RCFI, which is kind of the most extreme uh, affordability measures where you get really like minimal money down, long amortization, really good rates. But in exchange for that, you have to deep 
steeply discount your rents. Now, in actual practice, because they use gross household income, those deeply discounted rents are more like 1800 bucks. Yeah. Right? They're still pretty darn good rents. Yeah. Then there's the next program, which is the Flex program, which is uh, 15% down, so 85, 15 loan to value, which is still less than conventional. And you have some restrictions as to affordability, but not nearly as deep. Yeah. Uh, so that was the program I was going through, kind of a, a hybrid. You know, I'm not going to for the RCFI because, frankly, it's just very hard to achieve. And I'm not going conventional because I have to put 25% down. So the flex program was where I was going to end up. However, when I started the application in the spring, around, around January, the Canada government bond rate was 042 Mm-hmm. And I think right now it's around 1.6. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's not right. Or it was point four. It was up 125 basis points. So from 0. 0.4 to 5. Point, 0.5 something, something, something. Yeah. Either way, it's up 125 basis points, which just is a sign that affordability is or, or, or the interest rates are going up and up and up. And I think my actual, the rate that I was going to get went up a full, you know, percentage point effectively. Yeah. That took all of the ability to make it affordable and hit this flex program out the window. All right. So we've been talking a lot about inflation and the impact that's going to have on interest rates. And here's a case where at this time, the government is saying, we want affordability, we want affordability, like one of their own programs delivered through CMHC is now not achievable given this increase in interest rate. So What's what it, the play? The play is I need to now put 25% down instead of 15, which is on a- Is an extra- uh, Well, it's an extra 2 million bucks. <gasps> Sorry. Yeah. Just skipped a beat there. Yeah. It's like a $19 million building, um, give or take. And so I have to put down 25% instead of 15. The blessing- No Christmas gifts this year. No one's getting Christmas. <laughs> no one's getting. Um, the blessing to that is one, conventional. So it's way quicker. Don't have to go through CMHC. We've talked about yeah. that at length. Two, the building's going to make way more money. Yeah. Right. Because I don't have to hit any affordability standards and I'm going to have a smaller mortgage. Yeah. And it allows me kind of more easily to refinance the property. I was going to say years. your refi is going to be unreal. It should be easy to refi 85% loan to value, say 24 months after completion. And the property will be up effectively four years worth of yeah, growth. 20, 20, 25% lift out of there. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a lot of pain currently for some really good gain on the back end. Tanner's going to have like 17 dune buggies. It's going to be nuts. All the dune buggies. I actually have to put those in the garage still. I haven't yet. It's getting cold <laughs> here. So that's a, just a really interesting um, situation that I'm facing now going through development right now in this climate where we're trying to keep things affordable. And there are these programs to maybe make things affordable. But now where interest rates have gone up. Yeah. I liked, um, not to change, it's not really a change topic, but when we were at the REIC thing, again, to go back to that lunch, the one thing I also took away from it is, like, it, again, this definition of affordability is, is very broken yep. because there's, like, this technical definition that they use across the board that it impacts everybody because it's an average. But if they did, like, what, it, what they say were deep, uh, what was it, deep affordability? What was he calling it? Yeah. 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 So deep affordability, that concept of people that are actually requiring it due to whatever set of stringent requirements and issues that they were facing, that was really important. I think that's actually where the problem lies. I don't think this average affordability thing, I think that's like if you, if you again, your average affordability is 1800 yeah. you're always going to find a unit, whether it's new or old, in that wheelhouse. But really, I think and a lot of those programs could probably just get ditched altogether because really they're not benefiting 
people. They're they're actually just kind no, of No, I mean they're they're some they are, landlords are kind of winning on them. Yeah, they are being used to increase stock. They're now you could, you could argue though that it's um, the people who are winning them were gonna build those buildings regardless. This is what I was saying. They have the money to do it. It's just way better financing options. Way better. That's all that's all like yeah. <laughs> prime example is we have some big big buildings here in Halifax that are being built through some of these programs. Oh yeah. And these developers have more than enough money to probably just build the building cash. But yep. anyways, on that same note, yeah, this deep affordable, that would make sense. And even if they did do so, like, again, I liked what they were thinking about potentially doing a forced mandate of you have to meet a certain amount of deep affordable units and or you, you can offset it by having a certain amount of deep affordable units. Like that, that concept was not bad. Because in thinking about it, you could have developers buying some of these older, older stock, mm-hmm. maintaining the building and maintaining those rents because they have to, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to achieve what they're doing. And so for them, they're still basically just barely maybe covering costs or breaking even on those buildings. So it's not really a great financial thing for them. It's more of just like a savings account. And then at the same time, being able to go build uh, their new buildings and put them where they need to be. Oh, so effectively it would be across the portfolio like you could have. Yeah. 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 So you go out and you buy a hundred affordable units, you maintain them at affordable rates, basically again, just breaking even. You're not making a return on them. It just sits as basically a savings thing. And then you can go build your new buildings. Right. Interesting. So, but again, it, it was addressing that deep affordable. I think that was a definition that needs to be created and really started getting applied. Yeah, because this is the thing. I mean, sometimes we get painted as people who are anti-affordable housing. Like, it's not the case at all. Um, it's just if you genuinely are working in the industry. If you understand how it works. If you understand how it works. Like, there are real problems with some of these changes they're proposing that long-term, and again, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen next year. It's not going to even happen maybe the year after that. But there's going to be this continuing wedge divide between the brand new stock and the older inventory. Yeah. Um, the latter is going to really – it's going to drop off and it's not going to have the intended benefit. It's just it's just not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So – Again, not to keep beating on this this point, but I saw the article on Nova Scotia yesterday from – was it Armco? bought another piece of land. Oh, yeah, piece, yeah. They're going to bang out some land, houses. Yeah. And they want to bang out some houses and they want it to be an affordable neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're trying to save face or what's going on there. But anyways, they're trying to do this 155 acres of all lower priced homes and affordable apartments. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, I mean, the, the homes are still going to be 300000 but you just physically at can't least, build. You, yeah, least. you can't build anything for less than that, unfortunately. But that's what it is. But still great because really at the end of the day, the current entry point is 500, right? So you're still quite a bit under that. Yep. But they, they said, here's the problem. They said, even if the city... Gave us an approval today. The infrastructure, yeah. The infrastructure alone is going to take us three years to get in place. He yeah, said, it's not easy to build those roads and, 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 and run saying, that plumbing. And, he said even like you look at the population growth. He said if we're conservative and saying it was five thousand or eight thousand a year, he's like we're going to be like we're there's just no like we're going to be so much further behind in three years. He's like we yeah. need to start pushing these through. And, and there's no way that three hundred thousand dollar home is going to be deliverable in two years at three hundred thousand dollars. You can't deliver one now unless it's micro. Yeah, you need yeah. Like so, micro homes. Um, but either way, it, it's good to push some of these things through. Now, the city made a really good counterpoint, which is that they don't deserve the blame for all of the. Um, delays in new stock because we talked about permits. you know there, there's a lot of people who have permits on properties out there that's with no intent of building them or no immediate plans to build them. I guarantee you, it's not one small developer. It's I, there's not one small developer out there that's holding a permit. If there's a small guy who's got a permit. He's building it right now. Totally. It's all the I, yeah. if they were to put it together, I bet you of that what was it twenty thousand there outstanding? Oh my gosh, is that many? Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, I think it was twenty thousand units are are have been approved to be built but are not being built or construction has not started. I bet you. 80% of those are held with like under yeah. 10 companies. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I've got my little 60 that I want to start on, right? And yeah. it's just, I'm just 
slowly getting the financing across the finish line. And it's going to get there and and looks like we're hoping to break ground maybe even earlier than than February. So super pumped about that. That's exciting. So I want to talk about my trip to the States. Yeah. More in detail, not just about the laundromat um, and why I actually went and what I found. So I went to North Carolina. I had picked North Carolina after probably about a year of due diligence. Um, I'd been to quite a few of the other states. And there was a mixture of factors for me that don't necessarily just have to do with like economics. It was also kind of a political standpoint, like a multiculturalism, like a lot of those items. And so that's how we came to North. I say we, one of my business partners and I, he's also intending to be down there. Is it because you were kind of trend reading those things and and how, you know, political, socioeconomic, immigration, how that relates to value? Or that was just more kind of like personal where you'd want to invest? Personal. Honestly, personal. It wasn't wasn't everything about just the investment. Because purely on the investment basis, Texas and Florida would scream at you. Mm -hmm. Like they just... There's the opportunity to get in with stuff that's cheap. You can build for ultra cheap. There's insane demand. Like crazy. things are turning over. Like it's just, it's craziness. I've never been to Texas either. I got to go there too. Yeah. It's a, it's interesting. It, for me, it was uh, it was an eye opener. Open carry scares the shit out of me. I'm not going to lie to you. Like when you're in Superstore and Buddy's just got like a gat strapped to his hip. No and you're like, way. Do you need that to get your apples? I don't think you do, but. Crazy. Yeah. That's like, so weird. I, and they were everywhere. They were ever like everyone had them walking around. I walked around. I had, when I went hunting, I went hunting while I was down there and I had an assault rifle hanging off my neck and I'm walking through the gas station. Nobody says anything. Weird. Like a, like we're talking like a three and a half foot tall, <laughs> big ass gun. And I'm just walking around and people are like, eh, he's just hunting. That's cool. I'm like, okay. Crazy. Crazy. Um, anyway. Anyways, an aside, but yeah, so. We landed on North Carolina, and on the on the economic side of things, which I'll which I'll focus on, it it's having a lot of growth. There's a, there's a west to east coast migration taking place in the states for a multitude of reasons. The biggest and kind of most prominent, obvious one, is California is like having a ton of issues with taxes and a lot of rules, and they're having a bunch of different um, they're having water issues. There's just a ton of different items like that that are stacking up. Yeah, and so it started with I feel like it started with a lot of high profile names being like kind of making the move to places like Vegas, Texas, Florida. Like um, big company names? Big company name. No, I think more like even just like famous names. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who are like, I have, I'm a big business guy. I'm in California, but I'm tired of this crap. I'm going here. Mm-hmm. And so then they make the move and then another few follow in their footsteps. And and then it kind of followed, the biz- their businesses kind of follow too, right? Because instead yep. of having, like if I own the company and I'm headquartered in California, I live there. Now I live in Texas. Good chance I'm moving my headquarters to Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that started taking place a few years ago, and it's just been amplifying and amplifying and amplifying. And then COVID doubled down everything. So then because of the density in California, they had crazy numbers. It right. pushed things. Same with New York. Due to the density and, I guess, ineffectiveness in shutting things down, crazy numbers, mass exodus out of New York as well. And people moving south, staying east mostly, but also then moving south because probably a little bit better weather mm-hmm. and a little bit more spread out. And Those are also two of the most expensive markets in the world. And then on top of I can't of it, imagine that didn't have any role. Well, exactly. Well. And then yeah. the unaffordability became another item. So all those things played into it. So you're having these growth periods in these different places. I don't know what the stats are for Texas and Florida, but I know for North Carolina, like where we, where we were looking, it was about... 20% year-over-year average growth across the state yes, uh, for wow. prices. Okay. So very similar to Halifax on that yeah. front. And they've had that for about two years. And when I even wow. first started shopping there, the per-door cost has probably gone about 50%. From one Five, of zero. Yeah. 50. From about a year and a half ago when we first looked at a multi-units there. So, Is there is there some concern that, that the horses left the barn? 
Like what's... Uh, so, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And and I feel like I'm a little late to the game in general. But I'm the thing is, I see the growth, and it's a similar thing to what I'm saying with, with Halifax, where the snowballs kind of started going, and it's not a, this amount of momentum. You can't just stop. Here we can if we don't actually start freaking building some stuff. But anyways, yeah, if that momentum can't stop because what's happened now is you see the big companies like Apple, Google, so those guys are setting headquarters up in those states. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what's what drives the economy in in North Carolina? I'm not well versed in. Yeah, so they're they're a very I'd say they're a mixed mixed economy. Um, they have a ton of universities in both cities. True. Uh, they have the yep. sports teams. Then they have a lot of tech uh, that's that's coming there as well. Okay. That's providing a lot of high paying jobs. Like Apple said, they're going to hire. I forget how many thousands of people down there at an average of 130k US, which is like 180k Canadian, and it was right. like an absurd number. Like when they hire, it's like okay, yeah, yeah. we're hiring 10,000 people. Good jobs that you wouldn't think are, are going to go anywhere uh, anytime quickly. What's what like population wise? Like what's what kind of population is there? So I'll pull that up actually because I forget now. But Charlotte's a bigger city. Charlotte was I think over millions here. I should have got my numbers before we got on here. But well, uh, I was just kind of curious to, to kind of scale it to what we're used to. And, yeah, so and Charlotte, Charlotte's 860,000. Well, that's eerily. I mean, Halifax proper's, you know, around there. Yeah, but I was going to say it's growing. I think it's closer to a million now. That was of 2019, and they were having like a massive amount of influx. And then Raleigh's around half a million. Hmm. Now, it feels different, though, because their cities are so spread, like insanely spread out. Right, like the sprawl. It's not like here where huge urban one, sprawl. Yeah. They don't have high density. Our downtown here in Halifax feels way more intense than either of theirs. Really, big time. I picture it as like a little cute little downtown. Yeah, it like is. Very, it's, it's very yeah. quaint. Um, yeah. Very. I was gonna say <laughs> hipster. Like, let me just put this big ass building right here. <laughs> <laughs> Massive tower. No, it's it, it's very quaint. It's very. I'm, I'm gonna say hipster. Honestly, like it's. Yeah. It's very nice. There's a lot of older buildings that were there from when they used to do manufacturing that have been right. converted oh, over. Those are sweet. I love those. They look great. So yeah. much brick. That's the part that mm. made my life. Everything's brick. Looks great. The weirdest and thing. And like the good brick, not the painted black brick. Like the good. Yeah, the big clay red oh, ones. And so nice. They're kind of rough and stuff. Like they don't look all perfectly the same. Yeah. And they look amazing. The houses look so good. Every house. Every single yeah, house is brick. Yeah, and it's I just nice. makes me so happy. Anyways. The weirdest thing, though, in the downtown areas is they do have big buildings. They still have some 30s and 40s. The first, like, five to six floors, and I mentioned this in my video. The above-ground parking. It's all above-ground parking. Weird. Like, whenever you go to a site, the first five floors are parking. Someone asked a question about this when I was showing the site, and they're asking, like, well, how does that, you know, front-to-back slope affect the ability to build and it, does it create some problems and so on and so forth. And then it can actually be advantageous because you're when you're parking. putting underground parking, you can actually kind of dig into the slope and yeah. it spares you some excavation. But here, our, our planning is very nuanced and very focused on the pedestrian experience, right? So when the pedestrian walks down the street, how do they experience this building beside them? And the idea, like four stories of above ground parking, like they, people would lose their mind here. Yeah. They'd be like, that's so cold. We want nice little shops on the main level, <laughs> parking underground or no parking at all. Right. So that is crazy that they do that much above ground parking. I saw the buildings. It looked kind of weird as someone who doesn't see those. It does look kind of weird. They do make a bit of an effort to make the pedestrian experience not bad. It's like you don't feel, I didn't really notice that at first until I got to our hotel and then we like drove up and up and up. And I was like, wait a second. And then I started looking around. I was like, everyone's like this. And there was a brand new building being built. And they didn't do any excavation. There was like there was like one uh, level of excavation. Slab on grade. Yeah, it was like slab on grade, <laughs> Crazy. 40 stories, let's go. Man, that's so and wild. Yeah. yeah. It was their, – their culture though, in general, I think the American culture – correct me if I'm wrong, somebody. I'm sure we'll get some corrections here. But it is very 
uh, built around the automobile and transportation. Right, like right. every city has a lot of sprawl. Yeah, highways and interstates are everywhere. Par- tons of surface parking. I mean, the other, roads are wide. Yeah. Like I, I'm curious if other than just the sheer cost, like my site works, just to dig the hole is mm. going to be about 500 grand, half a yeah. million bucks for one building. You know, just to dig it down. It's absurd, and, though. I mean, it's not absurd, but it's a lot of money. It is, sorry, a lot of money. It's yeah. moving dirt around yeah. for half a million bucks. Yeah. I wonder if that's the rationale. Is it cost or is it soil composition or is there like an underground uh, transit system? Or no, that like was my thing. There was no underground transit system. Like I, that's the part that didn't make any sense to me. And you look at like New York, I believe they have underground parking. Yeah. I'm trying to think about it. And they have a ton of underground transit yeah, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I don't, I couldn't, I, for the life of me, I didn't, I probably should look it up. But for the life of me, I was like, hmm. I don't really see why other than cost. Yeah. But I feel like the cost of having to go up an extra five stories. No, nah, man. That's. You don't think it's going to outweigh or impact on that? I wouldn't think so. Once you get going with the concrete, you're just yeah. going. The forms I guess. are the forms. I guess. Um, interesting. But they have. But they also did it on 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 low mid rise buildings. Hmm. Like they'd have one or two. Yeah, stories maybe of something parking. geotechnical. Why, why they have to do that? But potentially, it is a weird. Um, it's a different look. But this is the nuance of different areas. But yeah. so, actually, let, let's just cut cut to the punchline. Yeah. Is there anything that you're going to buy down there? Yeah. Really? Yeah. This is actually news to me. We didn't talk about this no. because you were late as always. Yeah. So, okay, so we haven't actually secured our first building. I'm so excited. But because, yeah, I, it's going to be neat. It's We are definitely going. Like, we're now actively pursuing. We know what we want to be, where we want to be, uh, what we're looking for. We're willing to go in both Charlotte and Raleigh. What We're going to start with a smaller building and get basically our feet wet with the management. Smaller and what, what scale? 20 units. 20 units and same model, renovate. Yeah. Okay. So now here's um, here's where the biggest difference is, is the cost per door to renovate. Our cost per door, I'd say, in Halifax to renovate properly top to bottom, on average, we're spending around, I'd say, 45, 45 a door, honestly. I, I said 35 to 40, but yeah. Yeah. And if like once you get all your exteriors done and you get yeah. some landscaping, it really gets to that. Your main systems, you know. Yeah. So down there, and that's, that's with us GCing it. That's mm-hmm. not a GC yeah. company. If you add a GC company right. in there to the handle the whole 10. project, like a general contractor where you just have one person, one party you report to, probably add an extra 10K a door. So you're looking at 50 to 60 a door to have a, a company handle it here for you. There, we met with with general contractors. They were saying for everything, all new kitchens, all new floors, all new bathrooms, granite countertops, drywall, like paint to trim, the whole shebang, 15 a door. Man. Paying one GC. He said, he said mm-hmm. high side, 18, but 15. I... We talked about this. I watch so much of that HGTV stuff. Like, I can't help myself. I love it. This is actually how I kind of got into real estate. I watch it. I'm like, why do I keep watching these shows? I love them. Selling but, Sunset? Not Selling Sunset. Well, <laughs> that's not bad. I watch that too. Um, but I was what? really into these flipping shows. Yeah. And occasionally they would like zoom in accidentally mm. and like the workmanship was a little like, <laughs> right? Like good from far, far from good. Uh, but I also couldn't believe some of the prices. And this was when I was barely in in the Get industry, in the yeah. right? And they'd be like, bathroom, three grand. And I'm like, what? The tub's around. Like, <laughs> kitchen all in with, you know, 10 grand. It's like, man, these are really, really, really cheap. And it's because their labor is so cheap and, and, and the material is cheap too, but um, I couldn't get over it. I'd be interested to see the quality. Yeah. Because I, I don't then ex- like, and we sold it for a million dollars. I'm like, your baseboards don't line up, man. Like you <laughs> butted them. You didn't miter. Like it's, it's anyway. Yeah. That's, I'll be curious to see how it goes too. This, this GC we met with, he had a couple hundred staff and they were doing, mm. 
You think he was turning over around 600 units a year. So I imagine he's not doing the worst job in the world. No. Um, no I mean, he's, he's obviously hitting what the market down there supports. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, it's funny is at that size, like he's small. Like that's, that is, that is nothing. Like there is. This is so interesting because you're saying their population is the same or smaller than our population. Well, no, but that, that, well, we're talking a city here. So Charlotte's a million. We're talking, you're talking versus a province of a million. Yeah, I know. But like our, uh, that, that, that's true. That's true. And they're having influx of like, I think it was like 2,600. Yeah, right? but they're getting like 25,000 people a quarter, if not more than that. Really? Per, per city. Damn. Per city. It's like. That is a major influx of people. It's, when things move down there, it's much more aggressive. Like that's, and this is where I'm interested. Again, the risk is much higher too, because you can have that outflux just as fast. Mm-hmm. But people make their moves really, really fast. And so, yeah, so there, there's a lot of, you think he said there was 30,000 units going up in Raleigh or 20,000, 20 or 30,000 units brand new being built in Raleigh right now, mm. right? So like they, they have big numbers on everything they touch. Talk to me price per door. So price per door, old inventory, it was around 100 a door when I first started looking. Looks like I'm not getting in for under 150 a door, hmm. which is a little aggressive, a little aggressive, but he was kind of saying like around 150 a door, you sink in your 18 to 20 grand, so you're going to do it for 170 a door. They're reappraising around 240 a door. So it's not bad. It yeah. The other thing is down there you sell. You don't hold on to them. You sell and move up because you can roll forward. You don't mm-hmm. get capital gains tax. You can roll it forward in 1031. This is, and this is why I want to, this is why. Yeah, because so far it's like, okay, there's uh, a nice little boom going on. Some prices are better uh, in terms of the labor, but your cost per door is actually kind of the same. So the obvious question, Neil, is like, why would you go there? Yeah. So real reason being, first of all, actually it's opportunity. There, there's, yep. there's, there's like here, if I want a hundred units, there's not a single, there's maybe one or two portfolios in the city for sale for hundred units. And you don't even if that, uh, point point me to that portfolio. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So versus there, you want 100 units, you could probably string up 10 of them. And and it's just because there's complexes. Like there's a ton of complexes that are 300 units. Like they they jam in a lot of density. And so almost every landlord down there, that's what they have. They just have like 100 units. Like that's where they sit. So yeah, that that's an option. And then the other thing being is that their market is much more active because of the fact that when you sell. You don't get capital gains, and which is why there's also yeah, so people sell. Yeah, people sell. That's why there's so many on market because if you sell, you're not going to get hammered. Like I called so many landlords here that are like, I'm not going to sell because I got hammered with the capital yeah. gains bill, so I'm not interested in selling anymore. There's no point. Versus there, if you sell, you can take that money and reinvest it back into something, and not you basically continue to defer those capital gains, which also is good for the economy because people sell it and you buy it and you put in work and that's good for the economy and people sell it, they get that money. Well, what are people going to do when they have money? They're going to invest it. They're not going to hide it in their seat cushions. And if they right? do hide it in their seat cushion, they do have to pay the capital gains bill. Right. If they go to take that money out and go spend it on useless stuff or put it in their bank account, then they have to pay the capital yeah. gains bill. So they have to reinvest it. As long as they reinvest it back into, I don't know if it just has to be real estate, but as far as I know it does, they can continue to roll that forward, which allows the continual turnover too, which actually keeps the prices from going crazy. Because here right. our prices have gotten exorbitant because nobody's willing to sell. And the yeah. ones that do sell have these absurd prices because they need to pay the capital gains bill. Mm-hmm. So that's that. And it makes it unaffordable. Yeah. Versus there, you can actually turn it over at a reasonable rate. The next person continue to roll forward and the other guy can get in at a, at a cost that isn't so crazy. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it keeps, it actually keeps the prices down as weird as that sounds. And it just, it makes a much more active market, which is Yeah. Nice. Anytime you have more supply, more stuff available, it's going to keep the prices down. Yeah. Um, so... so did you like enlist uh, a realtor when you went down there? Or? Yeah, so we met with a few different realtors, uh, both commercial and residentially. We liked a few of them. It was the same thing, trying to use our techniques. It, you know, it was kind of funny being on the other end of the table. Did you ask for a referral? 
I'd like to refer you a client. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, asked, I asked for a 25% referral fee. No. But uh, yeah, no, it was very weird being on the other end of the table and explaining what I was looking for and then getting them to make sure they're on the same page. And then mm-hmm. also like, I'm like, are they trying to sales me or are they being serious right now? Yeah. Um, but I think we did pretty well and we found a, a strong one in Charlotte and then also actually a very, a very good one in Raleigh. And the one from Raleigh, as odd as this sounds, I posted a story on Instagram, I think out of the airplane or mm-hmm. something, just kind of indicating that I was leaving. And an agent from our office responded and said, where are you going? And I said where I was going, North Carolina. She used to be an agent in North Carolina. In our office? Yes. Who? Siba. No way. I didn't know that. Siba's officially been called out. Yeah. And so she sent me the name. Siba's awesome. Yeah, she is. And so she now, sorry. And she now, uh, yeah, she gave me the name. We met. She was super, super on it. Like she was super quick to give us stuff. She's already been sending us new listings. Um, She's a residential agent, but she's like helping us get into the commercial side. Connected us with builders, the whole works. Nice. All over it. Um, so she did a great job, and I we intend to, to use her for sure in our, our purchase in the Raleigh area. And also in Charlotte, we had another good guy that we met with uh, that he had just started his own commercial brokerage, mm-hmm. but he understood the game. I could tell, like, talking to him, he could spill out the numbers of, like, price per doors in the different areas, what the yeah. rents were, the overall turnover costs, vacancy rates. And that's actually, on another note, the vacancy rate there is, on average, 5%. Ooh, so that's little, a, little a, bit different, yeah. It's a little spicy. And and the other the expectation mm-hmm. with an apartment there is a pool, a gym, uh, cinema rooms. This is sorry, this is also Neil's expectation of a personal apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I so yeah no pool, it's gym. really because they build complexes. even in like a twenty unit building though not in no, a twenty okay. unit building right. not in a twenty unit building but the big buildings. And the big complexes, because that's what they do. They do more complexes there mm-hmm. than just standalone buildings. Yeah, like a little quad almost. They do a lot yeah. of quads. Like everything was a quad. Everything was a quad. And they do a big pool in the middle with a common games room or a cinema room, something like that. That is a major <laughs> expectation. I can't even imagine like an apartment complex with a pool in yeah, town. Yeah. Like I would not want to swim in that pool. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but they're beautiful. Yeah. Like I could not believe okay. We went and visited a friend down there and she was staying in a brand new building and um, – yeah, wow. We walked around like the lobbies, enormous, huge like hallways, big like spiral staircases and like cool. reading rooms and massive pool with like the funky S-shaped chairs and like gazebos and fireplaces. And I was like, <laughs> the funky S-shaped chairs. People know what I'm talking about. The uh, little ones. I knew what you're you talking kn- about. You knew exactly yeah. what I was pointing at talking about when I said that. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it's a little bit different market, different style. It's definitely going to take some time to learn it. And that's why we want to mm-hmm. start with a small building to get our contacts down pat. Yeah. And then uh, it looks like land development makes more sense. That's and that's oh, kind of really? what I. Okay. Well, here's the thing: if, so if you're picking someone at 155, you're spending the 20 grand a door. You have an yeah. old old building, versus there you can build for almost under 200 a door. Mm. Does it make sense to buy old? I don't think so. And no. That's why you see most people no. are tearing the old stuff down and building new, um, and it also gives you the opportunity to go at a faster rate. Because my concern is when you're trying to find old, facing that now, we're both facing that now. You get to a point where it's like, you got to buy eight units. Yeah. Like how yeah, many? Yeah. You got to buy what twenty of those this year to, yeah. to to meet the equivalent of the one building you're going to build. Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense. So that's going to be the other the other issue and kind of dilemma. Mm-hmm. So we're we're going to look at the possibility of building new. There are lots down there sell for around thirty a door, thirty a door approved. Uh, permitting permitting time they were not optimistic. We had one fellow tell us around twelve months. 
And then I talked to the builder and he laughed. He said eight, 18 to 24 months. So a similar... Yeah, it's similar to here. Similar permitting time. But there you could build out of wood, no question to ask. Probably even higher than six stories, but... The only six stories in the wood. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But uh, 12 months, he said you have your first units ready to move into, which I thought Crazy. was fast. That is fast. Here, 18 months if you're really pushing it, but two years is kind of what they tell you. Yeah, he said fully occupied in two years. Cool. But again, they have no labor shortage, and they don't seem. When I asked him about material shortages, he didn't seem to. He's like, what are you talking about? He basically, yeah. and that was also a different perspective. Remember, I was screaming about everything being in a shortage here. Didn't quite feel like that down there. Like we drove oh, some of the so dealerships. Recession. Didn't maybe, maybe I lied earlier. No, yeah. I'm still, still a little hell bent down. You just talked about how rates are going up. That's going to bite some of us in the butt. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's, that's super sunny, man. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. I'll keep everyone abreast as I, I start to buy something. If I get something under contract, we can throw it up mm-hmm. and we can uh, analyze why why it's happening. North Carolina, come on and stand up. Shout mm-hmm. out to Petey Pablo. Cool, man. Well, uh, that's exciting. Obviously, uh, we'll miss you investing here and, and making the news and all that. So hopefully you still <laughs> hopefully you still uh, work here a fair bit too. <laughs> okay. um, I mean, like there's the underlying current though, again, of like, well, why would you go elsewhere? And unpack that for me because this is something we've danced around a little bit with like, you know, do you bang your head against the wall in an area that you love and that you maybe have personal connection to and that you're from? And in my case, like my family is here and all this. Like I, I, I've mentioned multiple times that my buildings are all within walking distance of my actual house. And I like making my neighborhood nicer through these developments. But um, there's certainly – Times of frustration dealing with things here locally. So there's a bit of an X factor. There's a bit of an X factor. And I think this is what started me hunting in the States. Just, again, it was kind of a potential thing. And, uh, yeah, banging my head against the wall here in Halifax. So I have, like we kind of talked about before, there's certain goals that everyone sets up. I've set certain goals that I want to achieve at certain points in my life. And I was struggling to f- kind of achieve some of those here. I've been fortunate I've been achieving them so far. But even now as I achieve them, I feel, I don't want to say regretful for achieving them, but I feel like there's been a bit of a distaste on some on some parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and in general, it's just like it's, I feel like what I'm doing is wrong. Like I honestly really do. Like I don't, I don't feel right about what I'm doing at any point, yeah. whether, whether it's being a real estate agent and then being successful at that, I'm, it's, it doesn't feel right in a lot of ways. Uh, and then on now getting into this, the development rental market, it's also not giving me a warm and fuzzy feeling. And, after spending some time in the States over the last probably five years, I found it was a very uh, different sentiment where yeah. they really – Yeah, like they don't villainize success is what you're kind of exactly. alluding to. Exactly. Yeah. They don't villainize the success. They'd like to celebrate success and it's it's very like encouraged there to be entrepreneurial and start your own thing and chase the American dream and growth and achieving is is a good thing and it's, and it's respected. I think you're encouraged to be entrepreneurial here as long as you stay a mom and pop operation. Like, yeah. As soon as you try to get bigger than that, yeah. Then all of a sudden, I don't know. People are like, "Whoa, whoa!" It, yeah, don't it's, get too. Don't get too fancy on us here. That's kind of yeah. On average, it, it, it's a very hard thing. You, you have to maintain a very strong culture of of kind of what people want and expect. Even I would say, even some of the replies that we're receiving to what I said about luxury cars uh, would kind of indicate that people are like, eh, like trying to like. Yeah, you don't need to have that, and you're not saying I'm not saying that you need to have that. I'm just saying that it tends to whatever create a certain type of perception. Well, even the fact that it has to be conversation of like, well, how will people look at me if I drive a nicer car? Exactly. Yeah. That that in itself, I think, kind of proves proves a point. I mean, there's there is a bit of that everywhere you go, and but I just found in general it wasn't quite as 
I guess, yeah, it wasn't villainized. And, and so that really kind of attracted me just because I, I, again, not feeling, I'm not necessarily feeling the love on the, on this side of the the border. I still want to live in Canada. I still love it here. And I still think I want to do business here, yeah. but it's just, I find it's more difficult for, for a lot of those reasons. And that's one thing that I, I just think is actually impacting. It's impeding it because the general sentiment it actually pushes on the, maybe on the political powers, yeah, which ultimately totally. put the say, rules in it's place. It's not just like Twitter fingers online, uh, people being petty. Like these things have increasingly started to inform policy. Yeah. Right? Like we are increasingly socialist as a country, mm-hmm. right? And and how a person feels about that is is obviously individual, but it's changed a lot of – well, it, it just limited growth in a lot of ways. And the idea has increasingly become, you know, there's that old adage, Lord Acton of, uh, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And oddly, that's been kind of co-opted for this sort of socialist idea of, you know, well, if money equals power – and power corrupts, then power is inherently evil, and by extension, making money is inherently evil. Mm-hmm. And there's like this kind of little sliding scale, right? Um, which just isn't true for all kinds of reasons because that, that does make sense. People aren't so, you know, all the people in one group aren't the same. All the people in another group aren't the same ever in any group yeah. uh, at all. But there is that kind of sentiment going on there that that is the undercurrent of a lot of movements at at the heart of our political debate right now. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so again, I don't know. It's not, it's not the end of the world. It's just something that I've noticed. And in my desires to achieve certain levels of business, I feel like there's an aspect of that that's going to play into it. And so that's kind of part of the reason that I've explored there. I intend to look at other parts of the world as well, but the best thing with the States for me is obviously proximity and, and similarity in general, like day-to-day operation Versus yeah. having on top of having to learn a new market or learning all the new practices, if we have to go, to, if I have to go to a whole different world with I don't even know the culture. Yeah, you're, you're talking similar demographics, similar culture, same language, yeah. all, all these things. Exactly, yeah. that would be so hard. I and like I'm impressed and envy those guys that we have lots of clients like this that come here and don't have anything and they learn the culture, learn the language, assimilate, and then bust their butt to grow a business. Yeah. Like that is insanely hard to to do it without having to do all those other hurdles. Yeah, is is crazy, and so to do that is even more insane. But it uh, yeah so that that's something that, that's definitely starting to play into into it a little bit and then obviously there's the other items of like they have privatized banking which means you can get some really interesting bank loans uh, they mm-hmm. were talking about like hundred percent kind of stuff and then again it just atten- the market's ten times bigger right yeah yeah once you're down there state to state bigger cities in the same like it, geographically it's shorter to bounce around between major cities yeah like. You know, we're making hay here in Halifax. If we were to go to like the next big city to make hay, yeah, where would we go? Montreal, right? Like, that's a, it's a good chunk of distance away. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's interesting, and and I mean, I think there's a whole episode and conversation about. I mean, it's so funny to feel like you have to defend capitalism and then worry as you're saying it, like, oh my god, I'm defending capitalism. People might like be upset with me. And, you know, there's the saying, capitalism is the worst except for all of the other systems. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, I mean, I think our neo-capitalist system that we have here in Canada has been amazing and it's part of the reason we enjoy such a great quality of life. But it is increasingly kind of being villainized as we steer a little bit more socialist as if people have 
a very short memory about the dubious history of of that political ideological experiment and how it's backfired over the years. And I think there needs to be this kind of dialogue between, if you want to call it conservative, liberal, left, right. They both need each other because they're two very different ways of looking at the world. But this idea that capitalism is inherently bad is just so wrong. It's, it's just a very weird thing to think of like, okay, if people are this, they're one way. If they're that, they're another way. It just doesn't make sense. I also wondered like, well, what point do you become an evil capitalist? Right? Because like you start the business and you're like, oh, good for you, man. We're so happy for you. Or then like maybe, or you work a job and you're like here, and then you join a union. It's like, oh, that's a good socialist thing. You join the union, but then like the union pays you more. So now you're making a little more money. And then you decide to be like head of the union, which is like, okay, that's kind of a, an organizational structure and, and climbing a ladder, if you will. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe you get headhunted to be, to work in the HR department of a privatized company. Like, at what point along there did you become evil? Because I know I've had this situation myself. Like I'm a very different person from a, uh, fiscal economic standpoint than I was when I was 21, but I know that I'm the same person myself. In fact, I think I'm a better person in, in terms of like moral, ethical, you know, who I, you know, w what mark I want to make in the world. I don't feel that my capitalist endeavors, which have been to be successful and to provide for the people around me, have made me any more inherently evil, but that's not the prevailing sentiment out there. I, biting my tongue on a lot of things here. I think it's an important conversation. It is an important here, conversation. This is the most so we've bitten our tongue okay. in a while here. I know. Yeah, this is. We're both we're both stumbling here. But to answer, I'm going to answer your question. I think to what how I see it, I think you become evil in the eyes of of many once you basically start flaunting it. Honestly, as as shallow as that is. Now, now that doesn't make you evil, in my opinion. I think when you truly when I begin when it becomes a problem is when you look look down upon others based on necessarily their financial, socioeconomic status. Oh, totally. I mean, being a dick, it's always going to make you evil, yes. right? But like I'm saying people are, you know, just generally being like, I don't know this person, but I dislike them because- They have money. They are successful within this capitalist system that's provided all these things, all this device that I want to be hearing yell on the internet. Like I don't, wouldn't have that without the capitalist system, which is, it's far from perfect, but, you know, it has increased our quality of life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my car as an example. I use this all the time. The car I had <laughs> That's not proving the point, Neil. No, but the, the car before this, nobody I, – I had a really good – nobody would really consider me to be uh, an arsehole. And then you tie this new car and then there's this new sentiment that I've now gone too far. Mm -hmm. And then this mm -hmm. is when I, start, I started right. receiving the comments and people start disliking it. Even though I got that for myself yeah. from something that I earned – yeah. I mean, it really had no impact. Like my financial status wasn't any better when I bought that than when yeah. I bought the previous vehicle, but it visually looked like it was. Mm -hmm. And this is now it's it's an excessive waste of money. Like it made no difference. Yeah, and, and I mean I don't think anyone's and, gonna be like we're not saying, oh my gosh, we need sympathy and oh people are being mean to us online and blah blah. Like we, no. we don't care. No. The thing that's more interesting is that it becomes this um, what is it that creates this perception? And what well, but, but also what are the ramifications of that perception? It's it's heavily weighted that way in in the media and it's increasingly starting to inform our government policies yeah and some of those policies you know are not quote unquote good for business they're not good for business period Th then this is yeah. why people start looking to other areas but if the underlying current comes from this very simple idea that uh, or the underlying motivation is like well we just don't like people having more money i think that's you know, kind of a, a flawed rationale. I don't the, think that's the issue. Obviously, equality, inequality is a big issue. Yeah. Um, that needs to be addressed. But that's not what people yell about. 
Right? You know, people yell about just that they hate. There's also people. this silent majority voice of a few concept too that, that plays into it a lot. And I think this is where you don't like – the voter turnouts are always super low. Yeah. And let's say like, for example, with the rent control thing, like only a small percentage of people actually showed up to these events and to to rally outside of the buildings and all these different things. But they made their voices heard. And so then it became that the general sentiment was that. And so then they did it. But mm-hmm. if you were to poll 100% of people, the actual outcome might be very different. Well, this is why like, you know, look who has won elections, right? Like, you know, if, if you took, if you, if the elections were run on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, <laughs> the NDP would win in a wash <laughs> and they lose badly in most cases. You know, and, and we elected a conservative government here. So so there is an element of that. I guess the part that is a bit more concerning to me is, you know, wh- what is the end game of this? And increasingly, it just creates this big divide. And, and we're seeing it here firsthand as landlords of how we're being scapegoated and presented in the media. Yeah. And which like if someone wants to have a debate over the merits of things like rent control and taxation, if you want to have a informed, educated debate, I think that's awesome. Yeah. It's just, that's not how it's actually being done. It, it's, it's rude. It's, it's attacking. It's, it's using, yeah. and like, again, like we saw yesterday in, in our meeting, they're using, it's using a certain situation to attack a other item. So you were, you were asking a question about a $50 rent increase that's agreed upon by both the tenant and the landlord. Yeah. And the immediate response from two or three of the panelists was I have tenants that are getting 70% increases. And like, I understand, but I'm asking a question regarding moderate rent increases. Yeah. And they could not yeah, comprehend that question due to the fact that all yeah. they kept responding back with was, well, I have a, I have a tenant who got a 60% rent increase. Yeah. I have a tenant yeah. who got a 200% rent increase. And understood that is that is also happening, but then we need to also make efforts to be able to have moderate rent increases with people to be able to avoid having those 60, 100% ones. And yes, there might be, well, let's say 10% or 20, let's say 40% are having those crazy ones. There's also still a 60% that need to work on the moderate ones. Yeah. Um, and this, I guess, is kind of where my gripe comes from is just like these broad strokes yeah. of this group needs to always feel this way and that group needs to always feel this way and this group over here is bad and this is what everyone in this group does all the time. And it just is so weird for me as, as someone who's really individualist, individualistic. Like I just never think that way, and so it's uh, it's just a weird, weird mindset. I, I mean, we're kind of running out of time here, but we got this question actually from someone. You know, again, people sending questions. This is great. This listener said, "I've started to really push myself because I want to be successful and build wealth. I've been listening to the podcast and reading, just educating myself. Most recently, I became a landlord for the first time, but lately, some of my friends, one in particular, is seeming to not like where I'm going or trying to go." At what point do you have to leave certain people behind? And I don't really even care about the last part of the question. I mean, you leave people behind if, if they're if they're bringing you down. And we've talked about surrounding yourself with with good people who support you and want to see you Girl. succeed. Yeah. But it's just like that's a case where I don't know if you've ever felt this way. I'm like I'm still the exact same person, but as I do X Y Z in my business life and have successes, people just kind of look at you different, and it's one hundred percent. And I think it's people that you've known the longest or come from similar similar backgrounds. And, and they sometimes, I, I think it's a competitive nature. Like it boils down to some competitiveness, uh, with people like where they are either competing to keep up or do better. Additionally, there's also the aspect of like, they compare themselves and so they feel worse about themselves. And so they don't enjoy seeing you succeed. 
And so it plays, I think it, it, there's a few different factors that play into why someone w- would start to kind of not like what you're doing and maybe not encourage it at some point or kind of passive aggressively push it down. But I, I think that's very, very common. And I think that's, I don't know if it's a North American culture thing, but keeping up with the Jones, like it's, it's, I think that yeah. really, really plays into it. And it's not even competitive that they need to beat you or be first. But then again, it's it's the idea of like now that you're doing that, they feel like they're not doing. Yeah, but then there's also a lot of things though. Right now, people saying, "Well, if you aspire to that again, like that's bad. If you want to make it a, a, as a success in the corporate world, well, that you know is a corrupt world. You can't and be successful without you can't be successful without doing something corrupt. That's that's kind I of hear, the, I hear that so much. That's the that's the implication, and um, it just isn't true um, because that's like saying, "Well, you can't be a failure." without being incredibly a good person, totally ethical and blah, 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 right? Like what is, what is, what is this, this sliding scale here? Yeah. Not everyone who doesn't, you know, participate in, in capitalist ambition is inherently good. Just like everyone who does isn't inherently evil. Yeah. Um, that's a big loaded topic for perhaps another day to explore, but it just made me think of it and it, it's related because this is, you're kind of looking elsewhere for a few different reasons. One, um, just, sort of the the welcomeness of, of the idea and the support of being successful, but also the way that attitude and that shift that we're having here in Canada is starting to inform policy. Like capital gains is bad at 50%. Well, he's talking about moving it to 75%. Yeah. Right? Like that's where we seem to be headed here and it's not quote unquote good for business. It's yeah. not. Yeah. So. No. Well, I'd be nice if we get some feedback on this one. We've been getting feedback, actually. I say yeah, this. yeah. Like, we, we've been getting feedback. And don't be afraid to, like, direct message us. I know some of these comments you might not necessarily want to put on a post for everybody to see. So, but people have been emailing yeah. and, and sending us texts or DMs and things like that. Send them over. Be super curious to know what some people's take is on some of these comments that we've made today. Yeah, I mean, I and I guess, like, it'll, it'll be interesting because some people will just come in hot with some, like, thing. And we're just saying, like, it's it's a discussion. It's not so simple as you know, what's what's right and what's wrong and what's ethical and what's unethical. And these are just systems and um, people operating within them. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway. Give us your take. Yeah, yeah. Cool. What else is going on this week, man? We got another episode coming up soon. We're going to do commercial financing part two with our buddy Igor. Yep. We're going to tackle a few more topics of what's going on. We're going to talk a little bit about iBuying in the States. We're going to talk yep. about the metaverse, real estate in the metaverse. Oh, get ready for that. So we've got some cool stuff coming up. Uh, just keep listening and yeah, share, smash a like, hit us up. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Rich hat.